Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grade Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. Today, I am joined by none other than Matt Friedman at Matt F. The Oracle. We're going to look over uh, some rookie ADP stuff right now to try and figure out you know, what you should be doing with your draft picks early on here. But I wanted to start here, Matt, because I have not gotten your official branded take. What are you feeling about Juju Smith-Schuster re-signing a one-year deal? with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't know. It's, I mean, isn't this maybe like the best case scenario we maybe could have hoped for? No, uh, I mean, one, one year, $8 million with the Kansas city chiefs is the best case. Scenario. Okay. Well, yes. But the thing is, isn't there the fear that he would have been sort of like another version of Sammy Watkins uh, with the chiefs? Like maybe he, he like revives his career. But I think it's pretty certain that as long as he stays healthy, he's going to see 120 targets, at least 120 targets in Pittsburgh. And at that point, like that's that's pretty much, I guess here's another way of spinning this. I am so disheartened based on what I've seen out of Juju for the past couple of years that I'm just basically hoping for volume at this point. Because even like the efficiency of Mahomes in that offense maybe isn't enough to make him actually viable. I don't know. What what do you think? Well, I just have never let go of first year, second year, Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah. I won't, I won't let it go. Right. Like I still think that that athlete and that that producer lives in there and that playing with aging Ben Roethlisberger, Mason Rudolph, Duck Hodges, I, I think that those things have papered up. And, you know, I think we can point to the fact that that every all the film watchers say Deontay Johnson is better than him, right? They all say Deontay Johnson is is better at getting open, yada, yada, so on and so forth. But Deontay Johnson had like 6.2 yards per target last year, was not the only efficient Steelers wide receiver was Claypool. And, and, a t- and I mean, look, I'm, I'm like one of the biggest Claypool backers you're going to find but he kind of does it. He kind of was efficient like Smith Schuster was efficient as a rookie, right? All big plays. It wasn't, it wasn't being done on like ridiculous volume. It was just like Chase Claypool destroys the defender in the open field and then score. Like he had what, like a four touchdown game and a three touchdown game on two separate occasions. Like it was kind of done in these kind of anomalous ways. And I, I, I don't know where Claypool is going right now in, in redraft ADP. I'll pull it up here in a second. But I would imagine that he is probably going to be a guy I draft and then he gets 750 yards and four touchdowns in 2021. And I'm going to end up being uh, really upset because Smith Schuster clearly has the volume role, right? 120 targets. He's going to play the big slot. Ben likes to throw to the big slot. And then they force feed this volume to Deontay Johnson. And we've already started to hear the, oh, Claypool's a diva. And, uh, you know, I, this just, we always get these things with Steelers wide receivers, it, it feels like. But I don't know. I just, I, I basically just didn't want him to have to compete with targets with two other really good wide receivers. Yeah, that's, that's fair. The thing is that, that gets me about Juju. So, you know, like 
the eyeball test means nothing. And I, I try to put no weight on it, but that said, like, he feels like he's gotten significantly slower. Like maybe he's put on extra weight, whatever it is. He just does not look as if he has the same like juice that he had in 2017 and 2018. And maybe that's reflected in yards per target, you know, 11.6 yards per target as a rookie, that was always going to regress. And it did regress to 8.6 in his second year, which is fine. Like you put those two numbers together and Juju looks like a really good wide receiver, but then 2019, 7.9 yards per target. Last year, 6.5 yards per target. Now, granted, the quarterback play has declined, but he's also been playing more in the slot each year. He's been targeted closer and closer to the line of scrimmage each year. Maybe this is something that just has to do with his role within that offense, with the quarterbacks throwing to him, but it feels as if it's something that has more to do with him than with everything else. Yeah, I mean, that is probably true but it it bums me out right and and i think by the way the fact that he was only getting one year deals is which is what it seemed like it sounded yeah. like teams are only offering him one year deals probably to me suggests that no one knows that the teams wanted to get them in his system and and practice and let him play because if Juju Smith-Schuster is rookie and second-year Smith-Schuster, that's four years, $75 million, like what Kenny Galladay got, right? Because uh, effective deep threats who can also play close to the line of scrimmage, like that's the unicorn, right? There are yeah. guys, guys like John Brown now in the NFL who, can, who are really good uh, you know, straight-line runners. Those guys are a dime a dozen. Um, Christian Kirk, another example of a guy who is not going to get a big contract at the end of his rookie year because what he does – is so replaceable. Um, but I, I, so I think that Kansas city or I don't know, I think maybe Miami offered him and I think Baltimore, Baltimore offered yeah. Baltimore. Yeah. Um, so I think that, okay, one year, $8 million in Baltimore. Oh, turns out you're better than Marquise Brown and you can do all these things. Okay. Now we'll give you three years, $50 million or four years, whatever. And I mean, maybe what ends up happening is, is, Deontay Johnson, the drops and the inefficiency just gets out of control. And I mean, James Washington was playing over both Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool in segments of the second half of the year. And Smith Schuster's playing time didn't really switch at all. So I, I wonder if Smith Schuster can make himself some money this year, but I, I, unfortunately I feel like it's very reliant on something changing in the Pittsburgh offense. And I don't think it will. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I just, I think, maybe the situation in Pittsburgh is a little more volatile than I'm imagining. So, you know, maybe there is the opportunity for more than 120 targets. Uh, and maybe, I mean, think of it last year, he was very close to being a thousand yard, 10 touchdown receiver. If you count, of course, the, uh, the, the 17th game in the playoffs, but like with the volume he gets, if he gets a little bit lucky, he could go back to being a thousand yard, 10 touchdown guy. I don't think he was going to approach anything like that in Kansas city. Like he just was not going to get the volume as the number three guy behind Tyree unless, and behind Kelsey. Unless Travis Kelsey is 32 years old. And I, this is, I actually think this is a structural problem with Kansas city. I don't, I don't think it is a smart idea in 
a lot of these games that shouldn't be that competitive because Kansas City is so good to be using Travis Kelsey that much. Like, I, I think that they should transition him to a latter era Patriots plan with Rob Gronkowski where they only wheel him out of the garage and get him up to full speed like four times a year. But they, they don't they don't have that yeah. luxury. They right. simply with the way they did handle this offseason and with McCall Hardman basically being uh, a gadget player and Sammy Watkins gone. I mean, they just don't have that luxury. Yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, you're right. I don't ever see them using Kelsey that way. Maybe they should in an attempt to uh, conserve him. But no, I mean, this guy saw like 10 plus targets each game of the playoffs, you know, like each each game in the final month of the season. Like he's he's locked in. Yeah. Um. All right. Oh, also, I mean, I haven't talked about Kenny Galladay on this show yet at all because I don't think he was signed yet when Corrine came on. I mean, yeah. I, I, it seemed like people on Twitter thought this was a good landing spot. I thought this was a terrible, like one of the worst places he could have gone. Oh, no. Uh, I, I want nothing to do with him now. And that pains me because I love Kenny Galladay. Like he's, you know, he's an exciting player. He's one of the best contested catch players in the game. And maybe that's something that is actually useful to Daniel Jones. But, um, I don't know. I think there are too many other decent players in that offense for you to think that Galladay sees a huge surge in targets. So, you know, maybe he's around the 110 to 120 targets that he saw the past two seasons in Detroit, but those targets aren't going to be as quality as they were in the previous seasons. At least I don't think they will be. I don't think he's going to be targeted downfield to the extent that he was. And I don't think he's going to be targeted in the end zone to the extent that he was. And maybe he honestly has fewer targets because Sterling Shepard is still like a sort of like quote unquote professional wide receiver. Like they give him annoying targets more than they should. Um, Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley is going to get his targets. Like, I just don't think there's the opportunity for Galladay to be like the clear number one, like standing head and shoulders above everyone else in that offense. And then even if he is, I just still don't know if that matters because I don't have a lot of faith in that offense and their ability to move the ball and then score touchdowns. So Galladay, as much as I like him, I think there's significant downside built into his ADP right now and not much upside. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you entirely. In fact, I have Kenny Galladay on um, like I on like I think three of my five like weekly management dynasty league teams because I so that Ben scooping him up in startups in the past and he would be a guy like for if I could get Rashad Bateman right now or the pick I expect to be Rashad Bateman for Galladay I would make that swap right away um, which transitions us nicely into uh, what I wanted to talk about today which is uh, super flex rookie dynasty ADP I I do you think that super flex is more popular now I mean amongst people who listen to this show who are in dynasty leagues, which I assume if you're listening to a fantasy football podcast in March, you probably are playing dynasty and not redraft. I, I think it's more helpful to frame this conversation in terms of super flex than in regular. Uh, the only, the only regular ones I play in are on FFPC. Yeah, I, I agree. I had a conversation uh, a few months ago with Scott fish and he was talking about how, whenever he posts leagues, um, 
it's impossible for him to get leagues that are just one quarterback filled, but the super flex leagues, everyone wants to be in those. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like I prefer the one quarterback format just because I'm lazy, but uh, the industry is certainly heading towards uh two QB or super flex. Yeah. I, so I prefer super flex just because it's uh well, trading just makes more sense in super flex leagues. I think is the reason why, like, if you have a starting QB, that guy is worth a first round pick if he's under 30. And if he's over 30 and he's good, he's worth a first round pick. If he's over 30 and he's decent, you know, Phil Rivers, Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, Andy Dalton, those guys are worth second round picks. Andy Dalton, you'll get a second round pick for him right now. I, I mean, that just saying that feels insane, yeah. but you will. It's true. Yeah. Um, so the this is what's interesting to me. So I, I have the Superflex rookie dynasty ADP from our friends over at Dynasty League Football pulled up. And right now, Justin Fields is the consensus number two. My guess, though, is that that when the real bullets start flying is not true. And one of Najee Harris or Travis Etienne will end up going ahead of Justin Fields. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think it depends on the landing spot for sure with those two guys. So if it's, if it's the jets, you know, people might be a little more hesitant, but yeah, I, I can see, especially because this is a really weak running back class. I can see someone who has the number two pick thinking, okay, there's no way I get a running back. I like not even close to it at the top of the second round. I have to take my shot now. And, and running back is just such an important position, even in super flex. Uh, and it's so scarce in this year's class that, yeah, I, I can definitely see it happening um, where maybe half of the time, whoever has the number two pick will go with a running back. Um, but Justin Fields, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty bullish on him, especially given where I think he might land. Uh, I would still go with him number two. So you would, okay, so I, this is also where it comes in is like, it very much depends on the type of team you have. Like if you're, if you are, you don't have, you know, Saquon or, or Henry or CMC or whatever, like if you don't have any of the blue chip guys at the top and you're yeah. not ready to win this year, I mean, by the time, by the time you could use Najee Harris's points, he's probably useless. Like he, like, or by the time you are ready to compete. Najee Harris is already off of his rookie deal and not good anymore. Like, like just because the, the, the shelf life of running backs now is like three years. I mean, Todd Gurley's already out of the league. Todd Gurley was the, <laughs> right. the number one player in fantasy three years ago, and he's not signed yeah. to a contract today. Just, just think about Zeke, how valuable yeah. he used to be. And now like he, I mean, his value is dead. Like it is just plummeting. Yeah. Um, so I, I think like I have some teams where I tanked out last year because of injuries, but like I have the bones of a good team and I would be more willing to take, I, I have ETN over Harris for sure. Um, and and yes, some, I of, do too. some of that will be landing spot. I mean, you know, if, if Najee goes, I mean, I can't even think off the team of my head where he would walk in right now and be better, but obviously there are like, the if Falcons, the Buc Falcons, what, would what be if the Buc I mean, what if the Buccaneers take one of these guys? I don't think they will. But yeah, I mean, Buccaneers were a popular landing spot about a month ago in mock drafts for uh, for Harris or Etienne because it's like, OK, well, they need a running back and, you know, one of these guys might go in the first round. But now I don't see with the Buccaneers. Um, I mean, Lenny's there, but Falcons at the top of the second round would be really interesting because they have the spot there. 
and that offense could still be pretty good. Yeah. So I, I think that this is where I'm at. I think there is a tier break at nine in Superflex. So it goes Lawrence, Fields, Najee, Chase, Wilson, Lance, Etienne, Pitts, Bateman. Then it depends on what you think of Devonta Smith. And I, 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 we talked about this already. I'm prepared to take the L on Devonta Smith. I'm not going to get him on any of my teams. Someone is always going to want him more than I will in these leagues. I will take Bateman over Smith if they're both on the clock there for me, which means I'll never get Smith because Bateman will go on average after Smith. Um, but so if you are holding, let's say, for example, you are holding the 109 in one mm-hmm. of these drafts, right? And I, I actually think I do have the 109 in a, a draft that should be coming up here pretty soon. Are you just taking Devonta Smith and just being like, well, you know, this should be a guy who holds some value? Because that is one thing about rookie wide receivers is that they get the biggest pass on year coming off with no performance. Like try and trade for Henry Ruggs right now. You might think you could get Henry Ruggs cheap, but you will not get Henry Ruggs that cheap. Like you yeah. you will still have to pay basically almost sticker price from last offseason for Henry Ruggs. Okay, so let me just be sure I I have the right guys. So you have the four quarterbacks, and then do you have the two running backs? Four quarterbacks, two running backs, then Chase, Bateman, and Pitts. And I think in in my rankings, I think I'm going to move Pitts way up. I I know that the historical math does not support this at all, but I just like, if I come out of this offseason with Pitts on zero of my teams, I will consider that a failure. Superflex is different, but in one QB leagues, I honestly think it's it's justified to take him number three overall. Um, if like if you wanted to, because it's just so important to be able to get a a tight end. And you know, like if you think that he has the real shot of being the next Gronkowski or the next Kelsey, I think you take your shot at him. But so you have the four quarterbacks, the two running backs, Chase Bateman, Pitts. That's your top nine. And so if you are there at number nine, you're taking whichever one of those guys is available. And I'm assuming that's likely to be Bateman, almost always Bateman. Um, And so then I think at number nine, the question becomes, are you, I guess it just depends how many leagues you're in, you know, um, but if you're at number nine, I think you're pretty much always taking Bateman. Maybe, I would say maybe there's still a case to be I mean, made what for about Mac, Moore. What about Mac Jones? What about right. taking Mac Jones at nine? Because I, I think right. that is another thing that people will be at is they'll be like, well, what is really that like Mac Jones probably starts more games year one right. than, than Trey Lance does, for example. Yeah. So like, and this, this kind of gets to where I'm going. Like I want to push back on this idea of there being the tear break after number nine, because you still have Mac Jones. You still have Rondell Moore. You still have Jalen Waddle. I don't know if there's much of a tear break between those guys in the top nine and those three guys who could go at the end of round one. And that's not even mentioning Devonte Smith. So I, I don't know if there really is this big tear break or not if there is i would say that maybe the tear break comes after after like the four quarterbacks like maybe the tear break is kind of like higher uh than where you think it is but um i don't know i i don't i guess i'm just saying i don't see much of it let me frame it differently 
I, there is a tear break and it's, it's after pits and before Bateman. I'll say that. Yeah, I, I think that's, it's, num- that's it's number eight. It's number yeah, it's eight, eight, eight to nine. And then once you do it, once, once you are at number nine, there is a big question about whether you go with a quarterback, whether you go with one of these wide receivers. Um, and I don't know. Some of this will just be dependent on draft position landing spot. I, I don't know if there's a big difference between Bateman and Rondell Moore and Jalen Waddle, for well, instance. There is. I, I started out out on Rondell Moore, then in on Rondell Moore. I'm, I'm a Rondell Moore backer, but he is not going to go as early as his fantasy football proponents think because NFL teams literally are just like, we're not taking a five, seven wide receiver here. We're not doing it. And it's going to take, it's going to take an offense and a coach and a GM with a little bit of vision um, because you can't, you cannot take Rondell Moore and be like, all right, dude, you're, you're lining up outside and you're going to, you're going to run hitch routes all day. Like it's gotta be, it's gotta be uh, like a team that took Curtis Samuel, right? The a team that has a vision for how they want to use. And obviously the, we all want the chiefs to end up with Rondell Moore somehow. Like that's what we all want. Well, okay. So th- this actually gets to the question I was going to ask, like with Tyree kill, would it matter if he's five, nine versus five, seven? Like I, if a guy doesn't win with size, what does it matter if he's five, seven? Well, it doesn't matter to his performance, but it matters to the coaches. I mean, we know we like the fantasy football community has kind of moved on from thresholds. Like even I am like, I I used to be a big threshold guy. Like I'm not drafting a wide receiver who ran slower than this or weighs less than this. But I think to, I think to coaches, the thresholds and and GMs, like um, we know the Packers are big on thresholds for their drafts. Like uh, justice uh, Moskudeska has, has done a lot of, uh, you know, tweeting over the years, like, okay, this guy fits the Packers and they're not going to draft him if he's outside of this range. Like we know that NFL teams have these thresholds. And I, I mean, five, seven is just so freaking short for a football player, dude. Five, seven is so short. And I believe in Rondell Moore, but five, seven is short, dude. It, it is, it is, but I still have more faith in Rondell Moore going in the second round than I do maybe in Bateman going at the end of the first round. I, I'll, I'll need to revisit that if it actually happens, but I don't know. I guess I'm just saying Bateman, I can see going as the number nine pick there, um, but I think there's a case to be made for Rondell Moore. I think a strong case to be made for Waddle just based on draft position. Like he's like- well, Waddle probably in, goes in the first round. Yeah, Waddle's likely to go, I'd say, in the top 15, maybe top 12. Uh, like it wouldn't be a surprise if Waddle ends up going like number six, like uh, yeah. or or number seven, like number seven to the Lions overall. Like you could see him going number seven to the Lions instead of Devonte Smith to the Lions. So, uh, and then Dov- Devonte Smith is a first rounder. Like there's a case to be made for him. Let's talk about Mac Jones um, because in Superflex number nine, four quarterbacks off the board. To be able to get Mac Jones, who seems likely to be starting pretty quickly, if not right away, in let's assume it's the Shanahan offense. Um, but if it's not, maybe it's the Panthers, in which case he's still starting right away in an offense that's or pretty, the Patriots. Pretty interesting. Like, you know, so I think he's likely to start fairly quickly. And in an offense, if it's Shanahan or if it's the Panthers, in an offense that could be pretty interesting for him. You know, like there are weapons in San Francisco and Carolina. So yeah. I, I, yeah, Mac Jones, number nine, 
it, especially if you need a quarterback and in super flex uh, quarterback is so important. I think Jones at number nine makes more sense than all of the other wide receivers that you could take after him. Because it's like, how do you distinguish between the wide receivers? Even if you like lean towards Bateman over some of the other guys, you don't really know for sure that you're getting in good. But with, uh, with Jones at number nine, you know you're getting the last legit quarterback on the board. Well, and the, the, uh, like the best bet to have made in the super flex drafts over the last couple of years is just take the first round quarterbacks who fall, right? Justin Herbert, yeah, Justin Josh Jack. Allen, like right. the, those guys. And, and now the market is sharper on those things, right? So like two years ago, Mac Jones would have went late, right? He yeah. would have went in the second round. And now uh, the market has adjusted pretty well yeah. to those things. So there, there's a little bit less value to be garnered there. I think this is the next tier then. I include, I I think that, you know, we agree there is a tier break at eight. So then the next tier is Devonta Smith, Bateman, Javante Williams, Mac Jones, Rondell Moore, Jalen Waddell. And then, so then you're at at 14. And I think there is a tier break there where if you're in that range, you just take whoever. I I don't think there's a market difference between, you know, an, an expected future dynasty value between you know, Rondale and Javante Williams or Mac Jones and Rondale Moore or whoever. And I think Jalen Waddle probably ends up being a big value here. Cause I also think Waddle probably gets drafted ahead of Bateman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he is, uh, I think Waddle's only 21 and he's just one of those guys who weird production profile injured his final year. Like there's just reasons he's going this late, but none of which particularly concerned me. And then um, the, then I think after that group, then you go like there's a tear break, but it's like a real tear break. Like then it's it's where these picks I think become. So this would be the two oh four is where things start getting significantly less valuable because then it goes to Kenneth Gainwell, Terrence Marshall, Tylen Wallace, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Jamar Jefferson, Chubba Hubbard. Like that. That's I think. I think basically the the quote unquote first round quality of players goes all the way down to Waddle at fourteen, and then it's a real tear break. I agree with that. Um, Javante Williams is the interesting guy for me, just if, because he's the only running back in that second tier, and so he might be like the one guy to where let's say like you're at number two, and you're thinking like okay. I would like to take a running back, but I'm going to take Justin Fields because I think the value is there. And maybe I get Javante Williams with my second pick in the second round. Like there's a shot of that happening. It's not, it's not guaranteed, but there's at least a shot of that happening. Um, But as the only running back, and as I think like the clear, like number three running back on the board, uh, like in this class, He's, I think, the last running back, actually, who has, like, real sort of immediate potential. We say that without knowing his landing spot. But, you know, 21 years old, he had decent production. He's got the big body. Like, I think he's athletic enough based on what we saw at his pro day. Not, like, super athletic, but athletic enough. I expect him to go on day two. Maybe he's able to get a starting job at some point. Um, But after Williams, like, I think the running back position is pretty – pretty disgusting like there are some guys who are like interesting but no one that really stands out is like yeah this guy has a real shot 
So Williams after Mac Jones, Williams is the guy who stands out to me in that second tier, just again, because of uh, positional scarcity. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm pretty bullish on Chubba Hubbard. I, I think that he is like a, well, so he is like a guy where if he gets a, if he gets an immediate chance due to injury or weird stuff on the depth chart or whatever, I think he'll be effective. But I also think there's like a pretty decent chance he goes in like the fourth round of the actual NFL draft. And that ends up, right. you know, basically like where he'll get one opportunity, whether it be via injury or, or, or weird stuff. And if he is not good in that first opportunity, it'll just never happen for him. Um, that's, yeah. that's kind of what I feel for, for Chubba. I mean, he's super fast. So that is, that's always good. Like you, you love that, but I mean, he cost himself so much money going back to school this last year. He would have been, he would have gone and ETN did too. ETN yes. might've been on the ETN might've been on the freaking chiefs <laughs> instead of yeah. uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Had he, had he declared for the draft last year? Um, this next tier of guys though, Tylen Wallace is the guy that I'm going to be scooping up in the second round of all of these drafts. I think Tylen Wallace just looks he looks like just the classic four-year producer, big 12 wide receiver. I mean, ready to come in and play. He can play slot. He can play outside. He'll be ready to go right away. There are, there are a few wide receivers here um, who yeah. really intrigue me. And so that's not to say that like I'm passing on receivers in round one, but like the fact that you can get pits in round one and then come back in round two and get some guys that you like, like that's not to say that they're going to pan out the way that Jamar Chase would have or something like that. But I don't know. Like I would rather have pits in round one and then come back and get Elijah Moore or Tylen Wallace or, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, or no, no, Kadarius Tony, a guy we haven't talked about. Um, I would rather get Terrace Marshall. I'd rather have like that combination of pits early in one of those wide receivers in round two than take you know, a great player in Jamar Chase in round one and then come back in round two and be like, I guess I'll take another wide receiver. You know, like, I, I don't know. I just, again, tight end is so important that uh, I'm kind of fine going with Pitts early, knowing that we do have these receivers late who have that arbitrage chance of producing like one of these guys in a higher tier. Are you worried about uh, the Javante Williams Pro Day 40? Which, which by the way, is probably faster than it actually is because that's just what we know about Pro Days. They're all Guys are always uh, boosted up a little bit on their Pro Day numbers. Not really. I mean, because I don't think anyone was actually expecting him to be all that fast. And, you know, he's like 220 pounds. Like, it's – I think it's fine. Um and he, he did have, I think, a pretty good vertical jump. So I don't think it's that he's like a total slug. Um, the fact that he's 21, you know, I don't know. It makes me think of basically the comp for him I have is Alexander Madison, which like isn't sexy, but like a 21-year-old with multiple years of production who's, you know, like 220 pounds and has around like a 4.6 something 40 time who's likely to be drafted on day two, like, that, that's Alexander Madison. Um, you know, if I think if Madison were able to be the number one back in Minnesota, we would all think he's a, a great player. So I, I'm not too worried about the 40 time. Yeah. 
Uh, Jamar Jefferson, he's kind of like a lightning rod prospect because he caught all those passes as a freshman and then didn't really catch passes after that. Uh, I know I know our guy, Manchin, really likes Jamar Jefferson. I, I mean, he seems fine to me. I, I definitely prefer Hubbard to him, so that probably means I won't get him very often because I imagine <laughs> that the choice is picking between the two of those guys, and I prefer Hubbard. Do you, are you, are you, do you feel strongly either way? Uh, Jefferson is only 21, right? Or am I wrong yeah. on that? Yeah. Uh, 21 I'll, or 22. I'll look it up. Um, so like that is the one thing that is, I think kind of most encouraging about him is that, uh, yeah, he's 21. So he's, he's young. He's got good size. Um, he does have that receiving ability. Um, but I just like, I don't see him going on day two. You know, yeah. so at that point, it's like, I, am I going to be really excited about a fourth rounder? Like, probably not. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's very hard to reconcile the fact that he was so involved as a freshman and then not really involved in his other two years. I mean, that just generally speaking, that's the exact opposite we see of these other guys. Um, Trey Sermon, a very weird prospect who now, so now we are in the next year, which to me probably goes from Elijah Moore down to like Seth Williams. And then you get in like there, there's no tier after that. And it's just totally Rand after, after that, basically. So Trey Sermon tears his knee twice in college, uh, two times at Oklahoma transfers from Oklahoma to Ohio state. He's gotta be like 23, uh, maybe even, maybe even older than that. The, this is what I can't get out of my head is the Jag, uh, the Jaguars taking him in round four on day three, you know, and and then and then you know he he comes in to Urban Meyer, Ohio State guy, yeah, it just I can't I and it, which by the way Urban Meyer not there at all, you know, during his time, but I just I just have this feeling, I I the Jaguars are taking a running back. Just yes. you put this in stone right now. I don't know which running back they're taking. They are taking at least one guy on day two or day three, and I know. That like for example, Sean really likes uh, James Robinson, right? I was talking to him yesterday, and he he thinks James Robinson's really good. I just this this is where I'm at with James Robinson. He's an undrafted free agent who has no ties to the regime that's in place right now. And I mean, look, Chris Ivory, Arian Foster, like these guys, like literally Arian Foster, this great running back regime change, your role change. It just it just does not matter how good you were the year before as an undrafted free agent the new regime comes in. There's no reason to play you. Right. It's, it's not like a Ronald Jones thing where Bruce Arians comes in and then plays him. Cause he's still working off that second round draft capital. Like the Jaguars are taking a running back. Yeah. Honestly, in the update of my mock, I was tempted to slot someone to them at number 25, you know, like it, I don't think that's likely to happen, but you know, you're looking and it's like Travis Etienne number 25 to the Jags. Like they could use a running back. Uh, I mean, I think they're likely to wait till day two, maybe day three, but yeah, they, I agree with you. They are taking a running back at some point in this draft and whoever it is, that person is going to be intriguing because although James Robinson was great last year and I agree with Sean, like, I do think he's a good player. That doesn't mean that he actually is going to get the benefit of the playing time he probably deserves. So whoever goes to the Jags, you know, we're at the point now in the tiers, especially with the running backs, where it's like, we just need to know where these guys land. But, you know, if it, if it is Trey Sermon, he's 22 years old. 
he was productive at Ohio State. He does have the history of knee injuries, which will drop him down the board. So I think he's, you know, likely at the highest to go in round three, but probably more like round four. Um, but wherever he lands, he will be intriguing, but it's just, it's so much dependent on landing spot. Yeah. And I mean, I don't even know if he's like that good or anything, but I think what's interesting is his kind of backfield replacement Ramondre Stevenson. Um, he barely played, right. He barely played at Oklahoma. He played in 18 games, total 165 rush attempts total, but he was unfreaking believable when he played. I mean, at his, his final year at Oklahoma, he caught 18 passes, uh, with 101 rushing attempts, got about 900 scrimmage yards, scored a bunch of touchdowns. Uh, I mean, he just – and I believe it was, like, disciplinary stuff why he didn't play. I, I don't think yeah. it was – I don't. yeah, it was not injury-related. He does seem like a guy where some NFL team falls in love with his tape or whatever, and he gets drafted way higher than we expect. And I, I'm in uh, a couple leagues that actually do – their draft before the NFL draft, which is, I, I'm not a huge fan of, well, I change my mind if I'm not a huge fan of it or not. Um, sometimes, sometimes it's great. Sometimes yeah. it sucks. Like uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire went from, uh, he went to, in one league I'm in, I'm in with Rich Rebar. He got him at the 110. And then, you know, CH was like the number one overall, even in Superflex last yeah. year. Like he, he went so high. So there, obviously there are ways that it works out, but, Stevenson, I do think, is a guy who could like unexpectedly go in round two of the actual NFL draft, despite being wow, because he was so good. I mean, he just was so good for Oklahoma. Is his final in his final appearance? I, I don't even how old is he? That's what I'm not sure how old he is. Uh, let me look it up here. He is 23. Okay, never mind. Not a chance then. But if he was yeah. 21, he would he would be going pretty high. Yeah, he was. Uh, I mean, my comp for him is Legarrette Blunt, just in terms of like yeah. he was he was like the junior college superstar who then like transferred uh, to a major program for his final two years. Um, yeah, I mean, he's got that that big body. You know, six feet, 246 pounds. Uh, he's got pretty good athleticism. Uh, he does have the production, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to look at what he did his junior year and be like, Oh, that's, but you know, like you have to remember he was at junior college for two years where he just absolutely dominated. Uh, and then as a senior was great. So, yeah, I mean, he's one, he's one guy I would have an eye on, but I don't expect him to go higher than round four at the earliest. And that's the thing with so many of these running backs, you just look at them and it's like round four at the earliest, there might be four running backs, maybe five running backs taken in the first hundred picks, you know, but like maybe just three, to be honest, it's just, it's not a great class at the position. Yeah. It's, it's really not. Um, do you have thoughts on Pat Fryermuth or Brevin Jordan? Brevin Jordan, actually, I, yes. I kind of like, yes. You know, I'm, I'm glad he, that those were the two guys I, I wanted to talk about because like that is the, you will be able to get one of these guys in round two, like, I don't think you even need to spend a round two pick on them. Like round three seems much more realistic of, of being able to get one of these two guys. And they are both intriguing. Like Brevin Jordan was, uh, was like the recruit for that class coming in, like as great as Kyle Pitts is like Jordan was ahead of him uh, just 21 years old. You know, he's not built like your typical, like inline tight end. He's only like 6'3", 245 pounds, but um, he's productive. And then of course, like Freyermuth, 
might be the the best like kind of like all around tight end in this class like when you combine his blocking ability with his receiving ability so I think he's going to be like both of those guys I think go on day two Freyer Muth I think has a pretty decent chance of like by the end of his rookie year being you know like a somewhat regular contributor not for fantasy but just like on his team like the guy that they they bring in they run more two tight end sets because he's a good blocker and a good receiver and then I think in year two both of those guys get the bigger chance to break out so uh if you don't go with pits in round one uh but you find yourself you know wanting tight end exposure both of those guys in round three, I think are great options, especially Jordan as a 21 year old. Yeah. Uh, I mean, kind of like Cole Komet last year. I mean, Cole Komet was the first tight end drafted. Like he was the yeah. only tight end of the whole class that really had any fantasy value. And you like, you could scoop him up in super flex rookie drafts, like at the three Oh five, the three Oh six, which is just, uh, I mean, it's a lot better bet than like the wide receiver 14 in a class yes. or whatever. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> All right. Let's get into some of the guys that were taking dart throws on with the round fours. I mean, and like getting a getting a Gabriel Davis out of these picks is like just a gigantic win. Like yeah. turning a fourth round rookie pick into a guy who makes a team and and is like that you could trade for anything is a gigantic win. One of them for me, Amari Rogers. Just when you start talking about a guy who's built like Amari Rogers is built, who might get some running back touches. I mean, that's like, dude, that's like catnip for me. You know, uh, 5'9, 211 pounds, work him out of the slot, give him some carries. I mean, that it, it's just, I think he's like built in the lab for me to, to overdraft, basically. Okay. Uh, what are your thoughts on Puka? Yeah. Uh, so I really, I really like him because he was very good on a bad team, which is hard for running backs to yeah. do. Right. So if a guy is productive on a bad team, you think, well, he's got, he's got to have more skill than, you know, just your average big 12 running back or whatever. The concern is he's 175 pounds. Will he ever ever earn over a hundred touches in a season? And I think the answer is, pretty limited but i think he is talented enough and i think his production especially at a young age and especially as a receiver he was a really good receiver at ku i think that receiving workload does make me interested and also we are seeing teams give more touches to smaller guys right the fact that we're even discussing rondell more as a pick i mean guys their teams are just giving smaller guys more touches yeah so uh Puka is a little bit interesting to me. Uh, Demetric Felton, I'll be curious yeah. to kind of see how how he's used, like how he's drafted. Does he get drafted as a wide receiver or a running back? Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, he feels very Austin Eckler-esque to me. Yeah. Um, and just like the way that he could be used. So like not not a sexy pick, but if he ends up, you know, kind of finding his way onto a, onto a team and then he becomes the number two back, I could see him being a pretty good number two back. Um, Marlon Williams out of central Florida is interesting to me, uh, as a guy who's, you know, six feet, 215 pounds, uh, a senior didn't really do much early on, but was productive later. And, you know, basically played, uh, the same role that Gabriel Davis played within that UCF offense. So, uh, he's someone who might go like on day three. Um, but, uh, I could see him being kind of interesting. Um, but he's, he's a later dart throw. And then one more, I really don't know what to think about him. JV and Hawkins, you know, like coming out of Louisville, he's small. Um, 
you know, five, nine, 182 pounds, but the, the dude runs like a four, three. Um, yeah. so Him I and two, two at well, same, same team, uh, yeah. at well is a wide receiver, but super fast, but both really small. Yeah. So Hawkins is the one who's honestly a little more intriguing to me as the, uh, like the red shirt sophomore, super productive in 2019. Uh, I think a pretty good receiving back, um, I don't know, man, like five, nine, 196 pounds. Like that's small, but that's not prohibitively small. Well, I'm going to be wasting those picks on Jarrett Patterson instead though. Unfortunately, I mean, Jarrett Patterson was so, he was so productive and he, what it's, it is, I guess the thing about him though, is in the NFL, he's going to need to be used in a receiving role. Cause he's like the same size as like Darren Sproles, basically like, what is he, he is, uh, five, six, one ninety-five. again, another very short player, but he was used as like a grinder at Buffalo. And I mean, maybe that's the function of their play calling and their offense or whatever, but just any guy who was that productive, I'm, a, I'm at least going to be a little bit interested in. I just, I, I can't help it. Yeah. He had literally no receptions, literally none, yeah. literally not one. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I mean, that's like, uh, AJ Dillon, uh, no, that's, that's like Andre Williams, like, you know, yeah. except without the size. So I, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know if I can take a guy who had literally zero receptions, his final season in college. Yeah. What about, uh, the UNC wide receivers, Diami Brown and, uh, Daz Newsom? Uh, Newsom is small and slow. So yeah. I'm probably, I, I wanted to like him, but I'm probably off of him. Um, Diami is interesting. I he, he'll he, go a little bit earlier. He'll probably be top end of the third round. Yeah. I wish he were bigger. Like, I think he probably goes on day two of the NFL draft, you know? So yeah. like with that draft capital he has, I bet he will go at the end of round two, maybe beginning of round three in rookie drafts. So it kind of puts him out of range here. Um, I wish he were bigger. I wish he were, I just wish he were just a little more in almost everything. You know what I mean? Like, I wish he were a little bit bigger. I wish he were a little more athletic. Um, I wish he'd been a little more productive his final season, but you know, like overall, I'm still interested in him. And if he's there at the top of the third round, I'll probably be taking him. Yeah. Uh, the Hakeem Butler late breakout special for this class is I think uh, Jonathan Adams from Arkansas state. He had a 34% dominator rating his final season. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, he probably is a guy. I'm a li- I don't, I, I don't see uh, pro day numbers for him yet. Maybe Arkansas state just hasn't had theirs. Do no, you have I th- them? I think I I'm shooting from the hip. I think he was incredibly athletic at his pro day. Let me Jonathan Adams pro day. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, yeah, no. Okay. They, it just isn't in the road of his database yet. Uh, six, three 39 inch, uh, vertical leap. That's pretty good. Uh, it's not, it's not showing. It's not, I don't see a 40 time here. Uh, oh yeah. Four, four, five, one, four, five, one at that size is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that is intriguing to me. I totally forgot about him Um, just because he's gotten no draft hype and he has a late breakout age. So, you know, probably unlikely to go before the fourth round. 
Um, but yeah, he's someone to keep an eye on because of that athleticism and his size. Like there aren't that many really big wide receivers in this class. Yeah. Which, which, you know, I mean, the NFL, it, uh, it, it comes, it comes in waves, right? Yeah. Like little guys are in fashion and then, you know, the, the, the big guys are in fashion and, and things keep on, you know, keep on moving. Are you interested in either of the late? Uh, actually, I already know the answer. You're going to be in on Kellen Mond. You're going to be, you're going to be in on Kellen Mond for sure. No, I, I don't know. I mean, it just like, what round do we think he's going to be drafted? fourth or fifth i mean these yeah. these quarterbacks always i mean jake eason right jake Fromm. uh yeah. i mean ben Denucci got drafted dude ben Denucci got drafted I know. okay so no I, I mean i any quarterback who goes after round three which means like i you know i will always miss on dak but basically any yeah. quarterback who goes after round three you know, maybe I make an exception here or there, but you know, Mond does have the rushing ability, which is really intriguing, but I don't, I just don't see it with him. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that these guys are, so Ian book is another one of them. Jamie Newman is the other one of them. I mean, if any of them ever got a chance, they would run at least, but they're probably, they're probably not worth a spot. Yeah. No, these, I, I look forward to the day in DFS when one of these random guys gets a start Starts, and, it's, yeah. and it's like, okay, cash game play, you know, but other than that, uh, no, like for dynasty, I'm not really looking at any of these quarterbacks who, you know, like, I don't think they have a chance of going even in round three. So all of these guys, they're just non-entities to me. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking down at the list here. I mean, there, there's not anyone else I am super into Demetric Felton does look like the guy who I'll probably take with a lot of my fourth round rookie picks. I just, I, I, I can, I just want a guy I can wish cast on and I can definitely wish cast on him pretty easily. And, yeah. and I mean, honestly, if uh Mond or book or Newman goes in round three or round four to a team as like a developmental, I can see myself taking them in super flex too. round th- round three. I can buy it. Uh, I, I certainly can for round three. Um, and, and Mond would be the one guy for me uh, because he does have like four years or three and a half years as a starter. He does have the rushing ability. Um, you know, landing spot would maybe be kind of dependent, um, but I don't know. Even then, landing spot probably won't matter if it's a third round pick. He would just be a speculative play for me. But yeah, third rounder, if Kellen Mond goes in the third round, I will be investing. Yeah. Uh, we also haven't talked about, we didn't say Kyle Trask's name once. He has an outside chance to yeah. go in round one and no one is talking about him. Ab- no, I mean, there's, no. it's, it's he a five quarterback. Round, he will not go in round one. No, I've seen this. I've seen this movie before. Who? Who? The Patriots. No. Who did they take in round one? Well, just I've seen this movie before with these quarterbacks that people say they're not going in round one, and they do. Maybe, at, maybe it's like this, Drew. Maybe it's like Drew Locke where he goes with an early pick in round two. Like, uh, okay, I can I can see round two. Like, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo went in round two. Like, there, yeah, there are guys who can kind of come out of nowhere and go in round two. But Kyle, Trask, I mean, I don't even think he's good. I I'm not standing for Kyle Trask, but I think that he is going to go earlier than the market expects. 
Well, he's, he's got good numbers. I don't know what that means, but you know, from his senior season and even like his junior season, like he's, he's got numbers. So like if, if before this point he had gotten a whole bunch of hype from different NFL evaluators, then I'd be like, okay, fine. Maybe he can go in round one, but like he hasn't been mocked in the first round by anyone who I would consider to be a sharp mocker and he's not getting talked up as a round one guy by, you know, like kind of NFL evaluators who have connections in the league. So I just, I do not see, I would bet heavily against Kyle Trask going in round one, but round two. Yeah. Round two. You, you never know. I, I could see round two. Yeah. Uh, like, which like if even, he does go, if he goes in round two, to some random team where it's not like a generational hall of fame quarterback in front of him, he's probably going to be worth a stab. Well, even think if it's like uh like Matt Ryan, you know, like if they drafted him, let's say, you know, they traded back in round two uh, and ended up drafting him. Like, yeah, he's not going to start behind Ryan in year one, but there's a chance he's the starter in year two. And even if not year two, probably year three. I mean, like there's a significant chance that if he goes on on day two, especially the second round, that he ends up being an eventual starter. Yeah. Uh, all right. I think that was a good tiered discussion. I feel a little bit better with some of these picks I have. I have. I spent. I mean, Dak was on all my teams last year, uh, so I spent a lot of the season tanking in a lot of these leagues. Um, which, so that is that. I mean, that's an interesting thing, right? You spent the last year tanking out, but in a super flex league, you get like the quarterback three back. That's a pretty big deal. So I think I actually will probably be taking. I, I hope I end up with ETN on a bunch of these teams, basically, so I can uh, start to win some games and score some points. I, I had to trade away Travis ETN to Sean Siegel in a league yesterday due to uh, the situation I found myself in. It's a Devi league, and it was pretty painful, pretty painful to trade away Travis ETN, who I think is going to be great. Uh, what do you guys have going on over at the Action Network, Matt? So I am updating my mock draft and we are working on a NFL draft tool at Action Labs, which should be coming out uh, like a week or a couple of weeks. But basically it will have uh, something that sorts through all the different NFL prop bets in the market at DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM, et cetera. And it will give the edge that we have to all the different bets in there. And I'll be entering the, uh, the prop picks that I'm making into that tool directly. So you can uh, check that out at Action Labs. And then of course, I'll be having a lot of draft profiles, prospect profiles coming out uh, almost on a daily basis uh, starting next week as we approach the NFL draft. Yeah. All right, there we go. Everyone follow Matt on Twitter, best Twitter handle in the game, at Matt F the Oracle. Definitely make sure to slide into his ats for his daily Ask Matt anything and uh we'll uh we'll be back reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil 